are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We are going to break down your Sweet 16 matchups, all eight games that are you are going to see. Sorry, your um, yeah, sorry, eight games. Duh, all eight games you're going to see over the next Thursday and Friday of this week, and then we're going to talk a little bit of baseball, the World Baseball Classic, the final last night, Japan versus USA. Man, you couldn't have written a better script on that one, could you? Anyway, we'll get to that momentarily. All right, let's get started. NCAA tournament continues tomorrow, four games tomorrow, four games Friday. These are your Sweet 16 games. First off, starting off in the Eastern region, you've got Michigan State and Kansas State. Michigan State right now an early two-point favorite with a total of 137.5. You know, a lot of these games are coin flippers. Uh, there's nobody that has a distinct edge over another one. Both these teams, I mean, Kansas State likes to put up points. Michigan State, more of a defensive-minded team. But it's Tom Izzo in the tournament. Yes, he doesn't win it every year. He's won one national championship, but he's taken a lot of teams to Final Fours, a lot of teams that were undersized and not the most talented in the world, but played hard and played good defense. Miss uh, Michigan State, the better defensive team here. Kansas State, the better offensive team. It doesn't mean one is going to win because they are better at one thing. Michigan State has won their first two games because of their defense. I, I don't really have a lean either way on this game. I have no feel for this game whatsoever. You could tell me one's going to win over the other. I'd be like, okay, I could see it. You know, if you tell me Michigan State's going to win. I mean, yeah, I can see that. If you tell me Kansas State's won, you're going to win, you can see that too. The second game of the night is Arkansas against UConn. UConn is a three-and-a-half point favorite with a total of 139-and-a-half. I really like UConn. They're one of my four national champions that I picked in my bracket pool. All my national champions are still alive. Gonzaga, UCLA, Alabama and UConn. So I have them winning it all in one of my brackets because they fit under that umbrella of teams that were in the top 20 defensively in defensive efficiency rating and top 40 offensively. And every winner of the national championship has fit in that criteria since I believe 2001 or 2002. So they were one of them. There were Remember there was only eight teams that fit that criteria. It was like Texas, Alabama, UCLA, St. Mary's, UConn. I think Creighton was was another one, and I can't remember the the other two. But I have UConn as win, winning. So do I think that they should win this game? Yeah, but this is an Arkansas team that, like I said, Eric Musselman in the NCAA tournament is just known for knocking off better teams than his team. Last year in the Sweet 16, they knocked off the number one seed in Gonzaga. Last week, on Sunday, they knocked off Kansas, a number one seed. Now they're getting a four seed. So to say that Arkansas, there's no way they can beat UConn, I'm not going to say that. But if you're asking for a lean one way or another, I I do like UConn. They have been impressive. They have been the second most impressive team in the tournament through the first two games outside of Alabama and maybe UCLA. 
So probably right there. UCLA, Alabama, and UConn, to me, have looked the most impressive in their two wins so far. So this one is, I mean, I love Arkansas's guards. I love the way they defend. I love how hard they play. Eric Musselman is doing wonders there already and is I think this is his third year, fourth year at the most, but I believe it's only his third year. But, man, he gets his kids to play hard, and that's what you love. And, look, UConn started the season, I believe, 13 or 14-0. I mean, they started, they were number one team in the nation, and then they lost like six out of seven. And you're just like, what happened? And it wasn't because of injury either. They didn't lose any players. They just hit a really, really bad spell where they didn't play well at all. And they were just getting beat up in the Big East. And now they're playing the way they were playing at the beginning of the season when everybody thought, wow, this is a national championship contender. So I'm going to go with UConn in this game. I'll lay the three and a half. That's that's something that I really it's more of a of a lean. It's not like I'm really strong on this pick. I don't really know if I have any strong picks at all uh, on any of these eight games Thursday and Friday. But right now, leaning towards UConn minus three and a half. The next game, <laughs> FAU against Tennessee. You know, I've told you everything I've told you about Tennessee. They're currently a five and a half point favorite with a one thirty and a half point spread uh, total. Look, I can't tell you I know anything about FAU other than I know they came into the tournament 31-3. and You know, this is a team that is now 33-3 and on the season. Do they play the type of competition that Tennessee plays? Absolutely not. Tennessee started off hot, struggled in the middle of the season, playing well now at the end of the season, or at least in the tournament because they weren't playing well heading into the SEC tournament. Remember, I told you they had lost four or five road games. They were getting blown out. They couldn't score, and offensively, here's the issue I have with Tennessee. They just beat Duke, so they beat a team that was as hot as any team in the tournament. Duke had won 10 in a row up to that point, but they, two days earlier, were struggling with Louisiana and beat them by three. That's what I mean. When you're dealing with Tennessee, you're dealing with extremes, and I don't like a team that doesn't consistently score the ball. They are a better defensive team, but what if Tennessee has one of their awful shooting days, which they've had numerous times over the course of the season? I'm sorry. I'm taking the points here. Five and a half points is a lot to take, or a lot to Tennessee to be laying against FAU. I think that's too much. I don't want I don't want to have anything to do with Tennessee laying the most of any game. Is it are they laying the most of any game this weekend? No, bigger lines on, on on Friday. But they're laying the most of any game uh, tomorrow. Five and a half points, Tennessee, FAU. I, I'm not saying Tennessee's going to lose this game, but I could see this being a close game just because I fear Tennessee's offense, and I always will. When Tennessee's in the favorite role, when they're expected to win, is when they don't cover, just like they didn't in round one. They didn't even come close to covering against Louisiana. They were 11.5-point favorites. They won by three. Then they become an underdog, and people are expecting them to lose. That's when they play well. Well, now they're back in the favorite role, laying 5.5 against people are like, who? FAU? Huh? Where? Who? Uh, who? Who are they in basketball? Really, they're nobody. They came out of nowhere this season to be 33-3. and three. But they're pretty good. So I'll take the points, and I'll just, you know, I, I don't care who wins the game. <laughs> 
I care how I win my bet, you know? So I'll just take the points on that one. And then tomorrow night, I, this is the game. Talked about it yesterday. Absolutely love it. UCLA minus two and a half against Gonzaga. Total of 145 and a half. This UCLA team, I think, man, I don't know who's going to win this game. I can see UCLA winning it, of course. I could see Gonzaga winning it, of course. Because these two teams, UCLA is a better defensive team. This is one of those matchups where you got a way better defense versus a way better offense. UCLA sometimes has trouble scoring the ball as well. Gonzaga never has that problem. Led the nation in scoring this year. They've got an inside game. They can shoot threes. But they're susceptible to good guard play. And with Tiger Campbell and Bailey for UCLA, I'm really worried about how Gonzaga is going to play them. But these two times, the last two times these two programs have met in the NCAA tournament have delivered two of the most classic West Coast matchups you'll ever see in tournament history. The one years ago when Adam Morrison... um, they Gonzaga blew a 17-point second-half lead. I think they were up 10 with a minute and a half to go, something ridiculous in the Adam Morrison game where he was crying on the court at the end of the game. And then 2021, two years ago, during the COVID tournament, a 31-0 Gonzaga playing UCLA. UCLA was a 10-point dog. They were never even close to not covering all game long. They tied up. With a few seconds left, Johnny Juzang makes a layup. Gonzaga doesn't take a timeout. Jalen Suggs gets the inbound and right over half court, hits a half court shot to send them to the national championship game where they lost to Baylor. So they've put on two classics. I, this isn't a game I want any part of betting wise. I just don't. It's just flip a coin again, two and a half points. You, you could totally see this game coming down to a two point win either way. It's just they've put out two classics. I don't expect either one of these teams to blow the other one out. I will just be enjoying it from my hotel room because I'll be back in California tomorrow. And Friday's Daily Roundup and Sports Daily will be uh, recorded again uh, from the road, but that's it, just one this week. And then actually Monday's will be because I'm not coming back to Texas until Monday. So Sunday night I'm going to be recording the Daily Roundup and the Sports Daily. So Monday Sports Daily where we talk about all the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 games and prep for you for your Final Four will be uh, recorded from California as well. But Gonzaga-UCLA, can't wait for it to happen. Probably the best game of the weekend if you're really looking at it. Now Friday, we have some bigger mismatches, I guess in terms of point spread and in terms of not necessarily in terms of seeding, because you have two 1-5 games, you've got a 6-15 game, and then you got a 2-3 game. So the first one on Friday is we've got San Diego State against Alabama. The thing about San Diego State is, again, another great defensive team that sometimes has trouble scoring the basketball. But if you saw them against Furman, and you saw them against Carlos of Charleston, and then you saw head coach Brian Dutcher at the end of the game in the locker room with the guys saying, look, I will I will gladly shake anybody's hands if they come out and beat us because right now we're playing some really good basketball. I haven't found that team that could beat us right now. So that's instilling a lot of confidence in his team. I just get worried that on a bigger stage against Alabama in Louisville, 
I just think that they are going to fall short offensively. I think Alabama will do enough offensively to get by in this game. Seven and a half points to me is a lot. I'm probably not going to bet it, but if I was going one way, I'd probably take the seven and a half. I just don't like, especially when totals are low, this total is 137. When totals are low, you kind of want to take the points because you figure it's going to be a lower scoring game. Now, yes, could Alabama win this game 65-57 and win by eight and you lose by a half point? Yes, of course they can. But what I'm saying is generally when you look at basketball lines and totals, if the total is low and you're getting an underdog with a lot of points, you either take the under or you take the points. It's just kind of the way you have to look at these things. I would lean towards taking the 7.5 because I think San Diego State is a very good defensive team, and I think they can really not stop Alabama, but can really control the pace of that game and make Alabama work for a lot of points. And this could be close coming in the last five minutes, and then it's just you hope that San Diego State keeps it close enough to where Fritos at the end don't make it, you know, they're down five and then they have to foul and Alabama makes two and then San Diego State comes down, has to chuck up a three and they miss and they got to foul again and then San Diego, and then Alabama makes two free throws and it's eight and now you're not covering. Like, that's the stuff you got to look at. But seven and a half seems like a lot to me. So I will lean with San Diego State on the points, but I do think Alabama wins this game. The second one of the night on Friday is Houston laying seven and a half, same line against Miami, same total, kind of. It's 137 and a half. Again, I think it's too many points. I understand that Houston did what they did in the second half to Auburn, down 10 at half, and then outscore them by 27 in the second half, win the game by 17. I don't see that happening with Miami. I've seen Miami play quite a few times. They have a very explosive backcourt that can match up with Houston's where Miami is going to get hurt is on the defensive glass because Houston rebounds at a, at, a, at a pace that I don't know how Kelvin Sampson does it, but every single year this team is just monsters attacking the offensive glass and they are just a rebounding machine. But we did see them struggle. They, they didn't look good at all for a half against Auburn. And then they just turned it on and went scorched earth in the second half and blitzed Auburn off the court. But Auburn, I don't think, is a great offensive team either. Miami, if anything, is just known for their offense. Miami isn't a defensive team. This is another game where you've got one team that excels on the defensive end of the floor, Houston, and Miami only cares about scoring and offense. They're not a great defensive team. So what do we do here? In those instances, I usually take the points. I'm probably not betting this game, but once again, if I am leaning one way, I'm taking the points. I think we're going to have a lot of good games this weekend. I really do. And this is another one that I see being somewhat close and being, you know, four to a four to a six-point game. I do think Houston wins, though, and he, and they advance. Creighton and Princeton. Creighton is favored by 10. Total is 140. Look, what Princeton's doing in the tournament, you don't see 15 seeds getting to where they do they have gotten in the tournament this year, but they're here. But usually it ends at the Sweet 16 for 15 seeds. Outside of St. Peter's last year, 15 seeds die at the Sweet 16. And I think that happens here. I, I just And I would lay the points with Creighton. I just think Creighton is too good offensively, too many shooters. I would be stunned if they lost the game to uh, Princeton. 
could Princeton keep it close and end up losing by, you know, be down 12 and get a meaningless three at the end to hit it and lose by nine? Sure. But I think this is a Creighton win, and I think they win this handily. So I'm leaning towards Creighton minus the 10 on this one. I just think they're a better team. Creighton is more experienced, five starters um, that have played together all year long. They haven't really dealt with too many injuries. When they did, they lost six in a row, but that was when Ryan Kalkbrand, their uh, center, was out in the beginning of the season. It's a really weird really weird season for Creighton. They started out 6-0, and then they lost six in a row, and then nah, – I forgot what it was, but <laughs> they've had a very streaky season, and they're playing their best ball right now. I see them advancing and playing Bama in the South Regional because that's where they would be playing. That's that's who they would play if they won. And then the best game of the night in terms of seeding, the 2-3 Texas-Xavier matchup. Texas is laying four and a half. Again, I'm taking the points in this one. I think this game goes down to the wire. These two teams are very evenly matched. I really love Xavier and I, you know, for the longest time, Sean Miller has always gotten the rap as the best coach in college basketball who's never made a Final Four. I don't know if he's going to make the Final Four this year with Xavier because they're going to have to get through probably Houston to get there. And Houston has destiny on their hands to play in the Final Four in their home city. But I can see Xavier getting by Texas. Texas does not, I don't want to say doesn't impress me. Because I do like their team and their athleticism is through the roof. Uh, but I think Xavier is a very well-balanced team. You've got the big guy, Nunji. You've got the backcourt. Um, I'm blanking on I'm blanking on the guy's name. Well, you've got Boom and Kunkel in the backcourt for Xavier. Uh, how can I forget them? Kunkel's a three-point shooter. Sule Boom, a transfer that came over. Very athletic. Leads the team in in scoring this year at 16.5 points a game. I mean, their biggest miss is the fact that Zach Fremantle either broke a bone in his foot or broke his foot, and he's been out and he's missing the whole tournament. If Zach Fremantle never gets hurt this year, I think Xavier is probably a, a two-seed or possibly a one-seed, and they have a better shot to go to the Final Four. But they got a great shot. Uh, they, they've got a very solid team. I think they hang with Texas, and I'm going to pick the upset here. I'm going to take Xavier plus the four and a half, but I think they win this game outright, and they advance to the Midwest Regional Final against Houston. And then I'm going to determine, based on what I see, if I think, you know what, this could be the year. Uh, there's always a storyline. You know there's always storylines. You almost have to look for that before the games even happen. And the storyline surrounding Xavier will be, after all the turmoil that Sean Miller went through and that whole scandal with paying players and all this and having the label as the best coach in college basketball to never make a Final Four, what if he just sneaks up on people and makes the Final Four this year? And then you finally throw that narrative out the window. It could happen. He's got a three-seed team that's very, very good. You know, uh, we, we shall see. I know I say that a lot. We shall see. But we will. And that's going to be my biggest upset of the week. That's the one I think is uh, going to happen. There will probably be an underdog, another underdog that wins outright, but that's the one I'm leaning towards to to win outright, and that is Xavier beating Texas uh, the last game on Friday night. They are getting four and a half points. I don't really care for the total, uh, but I'll take the four and a half points, but I think they win the game outright. And if I don't want to end with this, did you watch the World Baseball Classic last night? 
I've been watching it. It's a really fun event. Does it ultimately mean anything to the U.S. players? No. And, I, of course, trust me, the U.S. players want to win. Of course they do. Everybody that steps on a field or a court in the professional world wants to win. But there's always this sense of, well, if we don't, how does that really affect my life? I'm still a multimillionaire playing the game of baseball, and I'm going home to, you know, $30, $40 million a year that I make. So, but these other countries, Venezuela, Cuba, Japan, while they might have some players on their teams that are making hundreds of millions of dollars, most of them aren't. And they want to prove themselves on the big stage. They want to prove themselves against the best players, the U.S. team. And Japan had that opportunity last night. They were 6-0. and They hadn't lost in the WBC. And everything, you could just see it from the seventh inning on. You were just doing the math in your head. I know I was. I was texting my buddy about it. I'm like, okay. It's a one-run game right now in the seventh inning. The third-place hitter, Paul Goldschmidt, just rounded into a double play to end the inning. That means in the eighth and ninth inning, the U.S.'s last two innings, you got batters 4-5-6, if, if two of those guys get on, that means Mike Trout is coming up in the, in the top of the ninth inning, and you know that Japan was throwing Otani out there. And it's exactly what ended up happening. 3-2. Top of the ninth, Shohei Otani comes out of the bullpen for Japan, the most dominant baseball player we've seen in the last 100 years. And he's facing the ninth hitter, the first hitter, and the second hitter in the U.S. lineup. That would be Jeff McNeil, the Mets batting champion last year, nationally batting champion. And then the top of the lineup for the U.S., Mookie Betts and Mike Trout, his teammate on the Angels. McNeil walks, Betts grounds into a double play, and up comes Trout. Otani versus Trout in a one-run game to win the World Baseball Classic. I mean, Fox couldn't have scripted this any better. FS1 had the game, and they got what they wanted. Drama, last inning, and the arguably the two best players in baseball who play on the same team, even though that team stinks and has been under 500 every year Otani has been with them, can't blame Otani for that because what he's doing is out of this world. And he just went gas, gas, hook right by Trout, and Trout swung through all three pitches. Ball game. Otani wins. Japan wins. 7-0. They are the World Baseball Classic champions. It was a hell of a game to watch. And the whole tournament was really exciting. They're only doing this every four years now because it had been six years since we got our last one, so next one's coming back. After three years, it's coming back in 2026. But yeah, they started in oh, it went oh six, and then oh nine. They did three years in between the first two World Baseball Classics. Then they changed it to we're doing it every four years, and then it went from oh nine. It went 2013, 2017. It was supposed to be 2021. Obviously, that didn't happen because we had a lockout in 2021. So we moved it to 2023, and or maybe we weren't. No, we weren't ready with uh, COVID in 2021. And so they, and then 2022, they couldn't do it because the lockout started at the beginning of last year. So they moved it to this year. So it's been six years since we've had one. U.S. won it in 2017. They were the defending champions. Japan gets them this year, three-two. Great game. I, I mean, you can't you can't really complain. Now these guys all go back to their regular teams. Opening day on baseball is next 
Thursday. It's eight days from today, and I couldn't be less excited. <laughs> I, I, I can't. Opening day used to be the biggest day in the world for me, and now baseball is – I mean, I, I'm going to watch some of the games because I want to see the whole pitch clock thing in regular season rather than exhibition baseball, and that's going to be different. It'll, de- it'll definitely get me tuning into more baseball games during the regular season this year, just seeing how the pitch clock stuff goes and all the rule changes because it's going to be a different game for sure but I'm just not fired up for baseball. I can't get into baseball until the summer. I'm NBA finals until the end of June and then NHL finals in May and June. And then after that, right after 4th of July, it's like, okay, because the only thing going on is baseball. But then right after 4th of July, we're two weeks away from NFL camps opening up and, and, and that, and, you know, starting to talk about college football teams and spring football and over unders for totals in college football. So, yeah, I just – baseball has just fallen off for me. Um, just has. And uh, I, I'm not thrilled, yet I'm going to California this weekend for my fantasy baseball draft. But I even told my buddy that I'm in it. I'm like, man, I just – I can't get – I'm not up for this anymore. I, I'm not doing the homework that I usually do going into this stuff and putting all my statistics out or whatever. I'm just going to draft a team, and if I win, I win. I lose, I lose. I don't give a shit. Like, I'm just uh, – that's – that's where I'm at now. Um, just not nearly as excited. I don't know why. I'm just not. But that's where we're at. World Baseball Classic was very fun, but we have to wait another three years before we get that again. But Major League Baseball, first pitch, opening day, Thursday, March 30th, next week. I think for the first time ever, they're having everybody play on opening day because usually you only have like half the league is playing on opening day and then the opening day starts for the next day for other teams. I think the whole league is opening up on Thursday, March 30th, if I'm not mistaken. I'll look into that. Hopefully have an answer for that for you by tomorrow for that. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast. It's very much appreciated. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you.